Welcome to I Want to Put a Baby in You, a podcast exploring reproductive technology and life-changing stories. Here are your hosts, Jennifer White and Ellen Trackman. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Ellen Trackman, and I'm here with Jennifer White. Hi, Jennifer. Hey. Before we dive into this really fascinating interview with um, a pretty crazy scenario and situation of what this woman and so many others are are in and dealing with now. Um, we'll do a light topic. <laughs> I get to yes. know your host topic. Um, and then my uh, topic of the day of my random Googling of get to know you questions. What were your high school extracurricular activities? Uh, wow, I was in high school like eight trillion years ago, so that's a really difficult to answer question. So, what kind of dinosaur extracurricular activities did they have? Like, we rocks rode, we saddled and rode T Rexes, <laughs> um, running away from raptors. <laughs> um, I was involved in sports, so I played uh, soccer for the high school for a couple of years, and I was theater totally a theater geek. Mm -hmm. So constantly in the theater hall. What about you? I mean, this would have been fun if we didn't already know the answers to this to guess the other ones. I know. I a hundred percent would have guessed theater geek. Definitely. Chess club. Maybe. I don't know. Band. No, no, (laughs) all of us are good. Uh, I did a lot. I did always editor of a school paper, which is kind of extracurricular. Uh, I was vice president of our debate team. Um, what else did I, I did theater as well. I did Taekwondo, which was not a school one, but outside of it. Um, I, can't, I think that's it. I don't know. I feel like I was in a lot of stuff. I said, that is a lot of stuff and totally fitting to your personality. So I mean, high school was like my glory days. I'm one of those where like they were the best years and then no, not all of Everything's great now too, but you know, I was one of those people that like loved it. Yeah. No, it, no, I say I, I enjoyed it. I don't think I'd go back and do it again, but I enjoyed it. So. Um, okay. Well, now that all of our listeners know so much about our hosts, you actually can forget all that you heard about Jen because it's one of the very few episodes that Jen was not able to interview our guests as well, partially because she lives in Australia and the timing was very difficult to work out. Um, so it'll just be me with our guests, but stay tuned because it's very, it's a really fascinating situation and um, a lot of what she's going through. Welcome to the podcast, Laura, who we're calling you Laura for today. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. And we'll start by asking, where are you joining us from? And just to disclose, I'm in Denver, Colorado, but where are you? I'm in Australia. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> nice which made coordinating time always fun um so you have um a fascinating story of how your family was formed and finding out some incredibly shocking information but just to kind of back up to the start can you tell me a little bit about your family and meeting you know, the, the person you chose to start a family with and what that looked like in Australia. Okay. Well, long story <laughs> short, <laughs> um, my wife and I um, went looking online for a sperm bank, which we felt comfortable sourcing a, a sperm donor from via a clinic. 
Um, yeah, here, I'll, I'll go ahead and back up just because even like basics. So, you know, um, same sex marriage was not legal in the United States until 2015. Can I ask, when did you guys meet? Were you able to marry at that time? What do things look like in Australia just <laughs> for, for way marriage? Back. <laughs> way back, way back. Sorry. We're going further way back. back. Further back. Okay. Um, my wife and I yeah. met a long time ago. So, um, essentially I just finished high school and, um, um, as a, as a very creative musical person, I started working professionally, um, in the musical, uh, theater industry in Australia. And I met my yeah. partner because she was a producer of a show. Um, I was probably about nice. 17 and a half when I met her. And, um, yeah, and we have a nine-year age gap, so um, things kind of went very slowly as friends for a long time um, and progressed into yeah. a relationship, which is... And could you yeah. could you marry at that time? No. Um, actually, in Australia, it wasn't legal um, up until 2017. So um, my, my, my partner and I ended up moving overseas um in a roughly 2009 and um sorry i should say 2005 so 2005 we decided that we wanted to leave the country and start exploring the world a bit more and it wasn't long after we were together probably about two years and uh, we ended up moving to canada that was the intention of being there really is to is to actually get married legally because we felt like I guess secondhand, uh, second-class citizens in Australia, um, and really felt a need to express our relationship and you know make it a legal affair. So we ended up doing a um, a very quick civil um, civil engagement, civil wedding um, at the chambers in Canada, and uh, that was amazing. So um, we ended up living there for about a year and moved to the U.S. after that for uh, quite some time. Um, <clears throat> but um, things kind of went a bit awry with the GSC and um, it was very hard um, to sustain visas at that point. So we had to come back to Australia, uh, yeah, which was always hard because we actually loved being in the U.S. and suited us uh, probably better than living here, to be honest. <laughs> um but um, oh, essentially nice. from, from that point, we – sorry, you, you go ahead. Well, I was curious if early on did you have conversations about having a family or even before you met your wife, did you have ideas about, you know, if I marry a woman or if that is who I'm with, how will I have a family? Did you have kind of those plans in mind? You know, I'm that sort of person now that, that thinks about things a lot before they happen. Um, but given I was only 17 when I met my partner and I didn't really know that I was um, gay until I finished high school, um, I hadn't given it a lot of pre-thought. Uh, the thoughts about having families came somewhere between um, the United States and coming back to Australia. So I would have been about 22, 21, 22 at that point. And that's when you start, you know, you're still enjoying life as a, you know, if you have the opportunity to, to plan the family, then, um, you know, at that point you're just enjoying being a young adult and especially if you're travelling, the whole the whole idea is that you're 
living experiences overseas um, to, to the fullest and you don't really think about those things at that point. Um, it just sort of started becoming a, a conversation around that time where we came back to Australia and um, we started discussing it at that point. So that would have been probably 2010, 20, yeah, 2010. And um, we, we purchased a house and um, then it became more prevalent, What you know, like obviously buying a house and, and, and or building a house uh, from scratch with lots of bedrooms, it's kind of that thing where you kind of go, okay, well, we've got a property with bedrooms. If we've got this many bedrooms, what are we going to do with them? <laughs> So, <laughs> and and how many bedrooms do you have so that you have know how many children you're going to have? Oh my god, I've got we have four bedrooms. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, but um, we've already got one filled, and obviously the other one we sleep in, so we haven't got many left. <laughs> one of them's a study. So, do you? Yeah. No. The plan is really just yeah. to, to have an, have one Keep more, study. and then you know leave it at that. <laughs> So with the age gap, when you first started thinking about having children, how did that factor in and what was your first kind of discussions and steps to move forward? Well, because there is a nine-year age gap, it was more, it, it was prevalent more for my partner than myself to start um, the process of trying for a family um, because of the age gap and obviously, you know, my partner didn't want to be a what they call a geriatric mother, just terrible. <laughs> um, in fact, well, here, I don't know if it's the same in yeah. Australia, but it's at 35, you become yeah. um, elderly. Yes. <laughs> elderly. Oh, my God. It's a terrible word, but it, it, it look it makes sense, I guess, from a perspective of you know when people used to start having children, you know, back in the day, it was usually quite a lot earlier, um, and it, it is harder. It is much harder to get pregnant and have a child um, the older you are. So, um, my wife and I started that journey, um, and obviously because of the expense involved, there was a lot of financial planning involved. Um, Fertility treatments are not cheap uh, in Australia. They're really not, especially for a same-sex couple, which I'm sure you'd be shocked to know there is a difference in price in a lot of states between being a same-sex couple sourcing a sperm donor and a heterosexual couple sourcing treatment um, using husband or partner's sperm. Yeah, massive difference. Um, So that's something that I I, I could touch on later on or you could ask me more about because I've actually questioned and challenged it a lot. I'm not a legal person. Please, no, go yeah. ahead. I'm yeah. I'm very curious to hear yeah. that there's I'm, a huge difference. So is it if a if a donor if a heterosexual married couple needs a sperm donor that also costs something different than a same sex couple using a, a sperm donor? It depends on the on the uh, the details. If it's a known donor, like someone that's known to that couple. Um, they could essentially source treatment at many clinics under the um, what they call, I'm just trying to think of what it's called, um, IVF, I think they call it IVF Light, um, the IVF Light program. Uh, but essentially there is discrimination between the, the two different sexual orientations, which is I just it's abhorrent really. It shouldn't be happening. Um 
but yeah, look, a heterosexual couple can source a, a, a sperm donor that's known to them, use their use that donor for treatment um, at the same cost as them, uh, both of them going in for treatment uh, as a couple with this donor. Uh, there might be cases with some clinics where this is according to my state anyway in in, uh, in Australia, but um, essentially uh, a, a same sex couple could source a donor. Um, uh, pri privately, and if that donor is willing to go into the clinic and donate directly, um, there's a chance that they might come under the same scheme. But I guess it's, it's very dependent on the clinic and what guidelines and um, regulations and what they consider okay. So it's very much a privatised industry as it is everywhere um, around the world. So it just it, it's very much a case of whatever the clinic thinks and approves of as long as they meet certain guidelines and criteria that are set by the fertility councils and health councils of, of, of the country. So um, I guess in, in regard to um, to where we imported our donor to, which is another state, um, there are different laws and regulations that govern what donor you can import, how many family numbers they can have, have to be very Australian compliant. I don't know if you're aware of this, but within Australia, there's a, a very, um, a very few number of donors. Um, uh, legally, the donors have to meet um, disclosure requirements, so you can't use an anonymous donor anymore in this country. It hasn't been like that for a very long time. They have to be able to disclose their identity to the offspring at 18 years of age. And um, they have to meet very strict criteria to be imported into Australia for, for treatment within clinics. At one point you could donate, uh, a donor could donate and have um, the sperm go through a sperm bank and that sperm bank would then be able to ship it to people's addresses for private treatment. Um, but that was stopped a long time ago and I think Australia has had that um, ceased years before we started looking. Um, because obviously they can't count numbers of children that are produced from such donations and, and in the manner of which the donor is sent to people's addresses. So that wasn't something that my wife and I were looking at very early on. Um, it's For us it was always a case of using a clinic donor to ensure that we didn't have any complications with a, knowing the donor, having them involved um, at a level which we felt uncomfortable with. I guess for many people they're very comfortable having the donor involved, um, I guess, in some kind of relationship, uh, family unit um, aspect. But for us it was always we wanted a donor that was known um, uh, and met requirements so that we could hopefully have a successful pregnancy and child out of it. Um, and that was... That was fine for so us. So you wanted a donor that was that was known but not close to you, not yes. near enough to you that there'd be a relationship where you'd have complications. That's correct. Okay. Yes. And so you would so you needed a known donor through the clinic. Correct. How did what did that look like? Um essentially we picked out cryos as our sperm bank many years ago because of the extent like i was saying to you privately before the extensiveness of the profiles um and the amount of screening that was that was completed on these donors was supposed to be exhaustive um you get a complete family history up till great grandparents uh, within the family tree of the donor a voice recording um at least one childhood photo to be able to ascertain appearance um, 
and essentially, you know, we, we came up with about four or five donors that we were really interested in utilising for um, for appearance, for um, things that they were interested in, strengths within their um, within within their I guess their profiles, the attributes that they conveyed about their personalities. Um, you obviously get the appearance. And are you willing to share any yeah, of those? Are of you course. really? Are you- of course, no problem. Um, because my partner I'm has, always curious to hear yeah. what if people can choose what yeah. is most important. And yeah. I feel like we always joke that everyone says that intelligence is most important, but in reality it's always looks. Yeah. I think I think a bit of both was was was, was our um, preference. So there you go. <laughs> um, we were really looking for a donor which physically looks similar to um to our family group. So myself and my partner, we wanted someone that looked like either of us. Um, and in the case of choosing our donor, we ended up choosing two donors that we really wanted to use, which was um, Donor Rude, R-U-U-D. That was the alias that was given online. And there was another donor which we were looking at, which obviously um, we didn't end up choosing because I had no vials available when we were actually ready to make the final purchases. So, um Essentially, we were looking for someone that was fair uh, in appearance, um, Danish or, or Dutch or Scandinavian, um, which was the idea with choosing Kryos. Um, we were we weren't really fast on height and uh, and weight, but we didn't. We were obviously looking for someone that was quite um, quite healthy in appearance uh, and and obviously had all the attributes of. You know, fair skin, uh, blonde hair, um, blue or green eyes, and um, the attributes that we're looking for uh, personality-wise were were intelligence that that kind of came through through their voice recording because you could ascertain that through the audio recordings. Um, someone that um, had some sort of musical or spiritual aspect to. Uh, to their, to the, to, I guess, to their writing and to their audio message, just to convey a certain level of, um, you know, warmth and vibrancy, and that really came through with uh, with Donor Rude, and his photos were beautiful. He was a very good looking, um, good looking donor. Obviously, we don't have, well, we didn't have access to any adult photos at that point. Some clinics offer those now at an extra fee. I was going to ask, so yeah. all the. All the pictures were of him as a baby as or a, a child. child. So some donors choose to only use one photo, and that really doesn't give you much to work off. Um, we really wanted a donor that was that had provided extensive amounts of information um, to the clinic. Some donors give them, you know, give, gave us one photo of them as a newborn, and I'm sorry, but that really isn't enough to know. appearance you know Uh, I mean that was important for us was to know who we were choosing as best as possible through donor profiles so um and obviously in Australia there's a waiting list for local and private donors or such as I should say local donors through clinics and it is very 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 slim pickings um and I'm not um I'm not ungrateful. Or how long is the uh, the list? Oh God, it's it, it's at least six is to twelve years months before you can access a mm-hmm. sperm donor, similar to what you're hoping for. But most clinics don't actually offer photos of the donor through the um, clinic donor list. 
thankfully for us, we did um, we did have access to a photo and um, or photos of local donors, um, and we actually did try a few cycles using a local donor um, between choosing um, donor Rude and another donor with Cryos, which we started out with. So he wasn't our first choice. So after the local treatment didn't work, did you have to go back to traveling again? Yes. <laughs> so at that point, <laughs> you know, we'd already been through about four IVF cycles, um, uh, five, no, five, five IVF cycles. And um, I think about four or five embryo transfers. And it was just, it's just exhausting. You know, we didn't, we didn't stop. We kept going because we didn't want any delays between each month. A lot of people would, would wait to undergo another cycle, um, especially because of the financial costs involved. Um, I think it's similar between the US and Australia in terms of costings. Um, you know, you've got that ten dollars to $15,000 range um, for an egg collection and then another $5,500 for an embryo transfer. So you can imagine, you know, we're building up this debt at this point um, and with nothing to show for it other than... Uh, all the medications that you were taking, uh, physically it's very exhausting, emotionally, financially it's very hard. With work it was even harder because you then have to drop everything to travel out of state. So essentially what happened was um, we had a meeting with the director of our um, our fertility clinic at that point to make a complaint about, about the first cycle and then obviously um, about the fact that a donor was listed and we used the donor for two cycles. It just wasn't going to work because of the low sperm count. And we ended up choosing another cryostone that we had on our list from square one, which was um, either donor rude or another donor which had straws available that we were looking at a year at least before. Um, it ended up being that the donor that we were going to choose before choosing donor rude had no straws available and was very high demand at that point. So we weren't able to choose the other donor, but being that we had a list of about three or four donors and the donor that we ended up going with was Donor Rude because we had him on our profile for so long, um, we made sure, I had to make sure with the clinic directly that he met Australian compliancy. They do have a donor coordinator that does a lot of this work, um, but I wanted to sort of jump the gun and make sure that this donor was Australian compliant before we got our heart set on using this donor. Yeah, and obviously being out of our, our state, there are different laws and regulations with donor offspring limits um, and the number of children that any international donor or any donor, I guess at all, sperm donor, uh, is able to, um, to produce is 10 families. 10 families worldwide to... And did you know how many families had children related to Rude at that time? No, they, the clinics are very, very careful with what they tell you. Um, they don't provide mm. a lot of that information. They just say on, on the website when you go looking at their profiles, particularly with Cryos, um, they have a little box that says um, what country are you, are you under, going to undertake treatment in and you have to put in your country, and then it says, and mm-hmm. um, and then it will tell you whether or not the donor has exceeded their family limits by For type that by yeah in the drop down menu, uh, which I had screenshotted oh. that at this point. Um, 
but because you put in Australia and it said it kept quota. him still eligible meets quota. Yeah. That's what that what that's basically what it says. In in my state in uh, in Australia, it's five families worldwide. Um, it can't be any more than that. Oh, five. five. That's that's very low. Five. Yes. Um, so we wow. couldn't import him in, into our state for treatment based off those regulations. So at that point, we knew we had we, we knew that we would have had more than five families because we weren't able to import him into New South Wales. But that's all that we knew. But less than ten. Yes. Yes. So we were okay with that. We were like, okay, well, you know, we've been told that he doesn't meet the five family requirement, but we know that because he's able to be imported into another state um, not far from from where we are. Um, great, we've got ten or less than ten families. And that's including his own, by the way, which he doesn't have a family as we, ah. as we know now, but that number would include his own family. So great. So we thought, fantastic, this donor meets that's all good. requirements, Yeah. Um, obviously has been screened exhaustively, has had a psychological profile tested, there was an emotional intelligence test um, results in his profile oh, wow. and there was nothing untoward there. Um, you know, great donor all round, as is the case with anyone that meets him privately, so he found out later. He's he presents beautifully, you know. He's oh. very professional. Okay. He's so he's very open about, you know, meeting children. Um he's very happy to confirm he's the donor. Um he's very open in that regard, but there's a lot of other things that I'll talk to you later on about which um became apparent you know, after we found out more about this donor. Uh-oh. Um, okay. So essentially we imported him oh. into our clinic out of state uh, because he met the compliance. He, I've got exhaustive emails um, back and forth um, organising all of this to happen, essentially. Between you and the clinic? Me and, and Cryos, yes, from, oh. from Denmark, which is where Cryos is based. So, you know, I, I can tell you five names that I've been in communication with for all these years that work at Cryos that have assisted us to have our son, and I'm obviously very grateful for their help and for them working with us tirelessly to, you know, to get this donor into Australia and, and obviously supporting us in purchasing more straws for treatment later. Um, and, you know, it, it, it's been an amazing experience mm-hmm. in some ways, but, of course, um, as we found out later, it's it's the industry is wrought with potholes and um, buyer beware that you know you're not made aware of until right. After so the obviously, fact. we're building up to that big shock of it wasn't <laughs> five to ten yeah. families. Yeah, you want to to go on with the story yeah, of, of having a child and yeah, then finding out yeah. some information. Yeah, of course. Um, so essentially, we imported straws into our clinic with this donor we were very excited that we were able to choose a donor that we really exhaustively felt comfortable using i mean some people don't really care um, about the details my wife and i did we really wanted to know as much as possible without obviously being told who the, the obviously the real identity of the donor which we were never going to find out until us our child um was of a certain age where they have that disclosed to them um so we were expecting that that would, that would be essentially, you know, there's not going to be any more um, questions that we can ask the donor because we're choosing a clinic donor. Yeah. There's a lot of uh, identity um, 
protections and afforded to the donors. So we thought that would be it. So we wanted to be as exhaustive as possible in choosing this donor so that we knew as much as we could about the donor before starting treatment and having a resulting child. Um, so, you know, he met all the requirements. He was wonderful. He had a lot of straws available. It turns out he was in such high demand that, you know, it, it's resulted in hundreds hundreds of children essentially just through the clinic alone. Um, but um, at that point we imported straws into our clinic, we started another IVF treatment and first cycle of using this donor, I ended up getting pregnant with um, my child who's now just under three. Um, and that Congratulations was Thank on you. getting pregnant yeah. and having a child. Yeah. So that's huge and exciting. And, you know, he's a wonderful child. I'd never take any of it back. Um, you know, I look at him every day and both of us are just dumbfounded that he's even here, you know, and he's so intelligent and so musical and he's just an amazing kid. You know, he's very, very smart. We joined some uh, some connection groups, specifically uh, Cryo Siblings Connect, um, which is a uh, Facebook group that connects up um, people that have used certain donors to other people that have used the same donor, and then you kind of take it from there, um, whether you want to make contact with them directly. Um, it's not explicitly said, but the expectation is that you you're not really there to disclose the donor's name or identity it's more to find siblings um for your children so we're on there for a good year uh sorry i should say a few, about five or six months um that we were on there you post the donor photo and say has anyone used this donor it'd be interesting to find siblings you know and there's a lot of craft donors on on that particular group um there's a lot of other groups on facebook as well that you can start looking for uh for siblings and so we reached out to a few other um few other private groups on on facebook and um when we started to give up a little bit because it seemed that no one had used him as a donor um we we had a um someone reach out to us who i'll keep anonymous um and um you know they said you know i know who this person is um He's a Dutch donor and he's very well known in Holland. Um, he, she disclosed his name, which is Jonathan Jacob Meyer, um, and said that there was a also a Facebook group uh, with donor children online called um, with mostly in Holland, and that's um, you know Donor Kind One Hundred Two is the group um, One Hundred and Two because at that point the mothers in that group who had used him privately um, were aware of 102 known children from clinics just in Holland alone. Um, and that's why they called themselves DonorKind 102. So we reached out to, to Jonathan and we also reached out to this donor donor group with donor siblings. Um, and once we once we confirmed with Jonathan directly that he was donor rude um, at Cryos, um, it was it was fantastic to have known who he was um, and, you know, thank him for helping us have a family and it was all wonderful for about about maybe four or five months. Um, so even yeah. when you knew he had 102 children at least, we didn't you were know still, that, that interaction was positive? <laughs> we oh, didn't you know, didn't that, know initially. that initially. <laughs> okay, got it. <laughs> we didn't know that initially. I'm kind what of... Did 
I'm kind of giving you an idea of what, what did you know yeah, at that point when you reached out to him? Yeah. At that point, we just verified that he was our donor because first of all, it's a really big thing to even find out who your donor is from, from a clinical situation such as ours. It's, it's almost textbook right. closed. You're never going to find that donor. Um, so in our case, it was just a one-off contact that just ended up being an accurate uh amount of information and he confirmed that he was the donor at cryos and um i just you know i had very brief contact with him over that four or five months obviously because it was still very fresh and new um and you know it's a hard it's a weird situation to be in knowing who the donor is um from a clinical situation you've got a child looking at you that has very similar appearance um it takes a while to process these sorts of things emotionally um so it positive positive experience but still it, it does take a while to process these things so you try and tread very carefully um particularly in our case we wanted to tread very carefully and make sure that you know we didn't make the donor feel uncomfortable because we knew who he was um and we said very little just you know like a photo here and there of um our child um, over the coming months. And in the meantime, we joined Donakai 102 and there was about 45 members at that point, um, mothers. So there would have been about 50-something children in that group at that point. So it, it, took, it took us a while to process that as well because we weren't quite sure how many children there were in existence um, and they all have similarities mm-hmm. they all have similar appearance um, at that point there were no clinical donor, clinical um, based families in that group it was all private uh, private donations so yeah, oh. in Holland look at that point he'd already been in the media as we found out for exceeding his his contracts or I guess going against his contracts with 10 different clinics in Holland. So what he had done was he was in the media. And Holland, I assume, has similar restrictions in that country? They do, actually. Um, They do have very similar restrictions. Um, From what I'm aware of, um, a donor cannot create more than, I think it was 25 children. Children. I could be wrong on that because they work off individual children rather than families, as far as I'm aware. Um. But essentially, you're only allowed to donate at one clinic at a time, um, and that clinic gains exclusivity of your of your sperm. So he was actually donating at ten clinics simultaneously at the time in Holland, and he was discovered wow. by the media, discovered by somebody, and they let the media know. So essentially, there was an article about him fathering 102 known children from ten clinics in Holland, and he was interviewed. But of course, the the um, uh, identity is highly protected in Holland. So it meant that his name was not put to the article, um, but it was verified to us through um, some of the mothers um, that that was him and he was interviewed uh, for the article. And this was in, this article was in 2018. So this donor had already been discovered to have been doing this Um year like before well well before we started selecting him as a donor on cryos so i was just saying that the the article was um was print was printed in 2018 and we were we sorry i should say 2017 and we were we were choosing this donor in 2018 for treatment so 
he'd already been in the media, but obviously because his name was not on the article, um, it, obviously it's much harder to connect the dots. Um, but we right. we really didn't expect this to happen. So my partner and I spent the course of, you know, the next two days um, shocked and in an emotional state of distress because, you know, being told there are, there are that many children and that he had 102 just in the clinics alone before we actually started choosing uh, choosing him as a sperm donor through cryos was a, was a bit of a shock discovery. Um, we didn't approach uh, Jonathan directly about this because we wanted to know more information first and, and obviously process it and, and make sure that it was 100% accurate. But it just became very apparent that, that there are a lot more children than what we expected. They don't tell you that simultaneously, you know, while your country has a 10-family quota in your state, another country has their quota and that the donors being imported to each country until they meet their quotas. So, But you know, are they saying that he can only have 10 families in Australia or well, 10 worldwide? 10 families worldwide in order to be imported into Australia for treatment. Mm. So what they don't and tell you is yeah. just reliant on whatever he tells them. Yes. Like, did he tell them I have five kids or somewhere between five and 10 kids? Well, essentially what clinics do, well, particularly in, in the case of cryos is that they'll import straw that they um, collect straws. They obviously quarantine and screen them and do all that sort of thing with the donor first. Um, they take the donor at their word, essentially, um, as we've found out through experience. Um, and, any clinical births that are registered through the clinics, um, they expect recipients of donor sperm once they actually do get pregnant or have a live birth, they expect the um, the parents to register that child on the website, but it's not mandatory. Um, it's not mandatory and it's not something that has to be done. So there are obviously... Um, loopholes and gaps in there where people have had children but haven't registered that birth. So there's probably more children through most clinics around the world um, than have been registered um, with each donor. Then, Did you yeah. register your own child? We did, yes, because we thought it was really important um, that obviously it's registered if um, if another family imports his imported his straws into the country, then they wouldn't be told them mm -hmm. where we are or that there was another child, but the numbers would show that um, in the future um, for, right. for any resulting child to get in contact with siblings. So it was important to us. We ended up registering um, our child's birth. But, yeah, it, I just find it shocking that, you know, you're not told by cryos directly um, or that we certainly weren't and anyone who's used cryos has said the same thing. They're not told that the family quotas per country means that they've got at least two to 300 children that will result from the sperm donors' donations at, that, at any particular clinic. So wow. we kind of went into this, should have researched a bit more, I agree, um, but it shouldn't be my job, you know, to, to um, question a clinic uh, a sperm bank, which has the highest yield of donors in the world. And, you know, they were the ones that sold us the straws. So, I mean, we, we, we're really looking at doing more in terms of a, a case against Christ at this point. 
Um, but given the timing of trying for a second child, it's it's very hard. We have to kind of put that on hold until, you know, until we finish that process. But I'll go back to what we were saying. Do you um, know, do you have an idea of how many children this donor has at this point? Yes. Or have you and DNA without tested shocking, your child? Without shocking anybody, um, we're looking at at least 800 to 1,000. Wow. Yeah. That's through private and clinical donation. Um, uh, essentially, yeah, there's the, he donates privately all around the world, um, mostly Europe, um, and it's been very clear that he donates at clinics simultaneously. Um, so I'm just trying to figure out where we were sitting in the conversation. So, yeah, essentially the family quota we weren't aware of, but now we clearly are. Um, so the, the sperm banks have a lot to, to to address and question with the information they provide recipients because that was totally incorrect to start with. Um, and obviously they didn't screen him because he had donated extensively at that point, had already been in the media, um, already had many, many children through private donation and through clinical donation within Holland. So that cross-checking wasn't done. Um, yeah, so essentially we had our son, we found out, a lot of children, who they were, their parents, uh, had great close contact with a few of the mothers that wanted ongoing daily contact and we have a great network currently um, of about five or ten mothers that we speak to every day. So that has been a real blessing to have siblings there that we speak to, that we see, that we get to talk to. Um, I'm very grateful we have that, but the number of children is something very different. You know, it's, we're wondering how this is going to affect our child. Um, I know your yeah. son is so young, he but is, have yes. you started having that conversation with him? At the moment, because he's an very switched on toddler, he's, he's under three, but he understands that he has two mummies and a donor dad. And that he has siblings. Um, he, he even said himself, same dad. So he's um, mm. he's very, very young and he's already grasping the concept of being a donor-conceived child. Um, at this point, obviously, there's not a lot that we can say that he will be able to understand in terms of, you know, what his donor is doing and, you know, it's too young to go down that path. But we're essentially sort of building up to telling him, I think it's going to be earlier than most kids, if I'm being honest, because he's already pegged that he's got a donor, donor dad and many siblings overseas. Mm -hmm. We speak to some of them regularly. You know, our group currently has, I should say that our our donor kind group has grown so much um, that I think we're looking at last count, we're looking at over 100 110 members in the group. Um, which wow. is which is mostly the parents, you know, um, of these kids, but a lot of these parents have more than one child as well. Um, so do you have any questions for me before I keep rambling on? <laughs> <laughs> so many questions. So I know you are part of this organization, Moms on a Mission. Yes. Can you tell us about what that mission is? Okay. So somewhere between um, – somewhere between making connections with some of these parents, finding new parents with children, um, all of which were private donation. Um, somewhere between there, uh, I think it might have been about, you know, about a year and a bit ago, 
some of the mums were discussing how dismayed they were um, in being lied to because actually, you know, Jonathan had met with these most of these women privately and has told every single parent that used him as a donor that he had, you know, their child would be the 10th or the 13th child. Um, so oh, wow. not only is he, is he lying to the clinics and donating there, he's also lying to the potential mothers or recipients of using his sperm as as a private donor. He tells all these parents. Has that- anyone brought like a private fraud lawsuit or something to that extent against him because of these lies? I think we're, we're getting to that. We're getting to that soon. <laughs> um, at this point, you know, every single person that we've spoken to that has utilised him as a donor, um, they've all been lied to about the number of children that he said he has. And they've gone off his word, clearly, because with private donation, um, you know, they can cross-check a few things themselves, um, but it's become very apparent that he's lied to every single recipient and said that their kid's going to be the 10th or the 13th or the 20th. I think the, the number that he's told most people is about 13 or 10. Um, so they've gone off that wow. figure and not realised that that he's got hundreds, if not a thousand or more children. Um, obviously wow. him, uh, the donor personally, wouldn't be told every single child that comes out of a clinic because I'm not sure what clinic, um, what the cl- each individual clinic requirement is requirements are but with cryos i know that they don't always disclose to the donor directly how many children have resulted from their donations they might they might sometimes or they're not they're not required to periodically so obviously he's not going to know every child that's resulted um, from his donations in clinics but private donations he's aware of every single one of them um because or most of them because most people would want to stay in contact with him their children so it's pretty clear that he he knew it was a much larger number than what he was telling people yes, exactly so um a, a few of these mums that were really shocked um upon joining the group um i should say that we started looking for parents um in holland at this point with a few of the mums in the donor group and we split off into our own facebook page to start researching and and finding um, more siblings or more families that have utilised him as a donor. Um, it seems that Holland's pretty pretty prevalent in terms of where he's donated because mm-hmm. he's, he obviously lives there. So, have you found other families in Australia? At this point, we're very unlucky in in, in that we haven't found any other children in Australia. But um, I think that we're going to we're going to after we go public or we start looking at you know, um, connecting with clinics, um, m- maybe subpoenaing information through a, through a lawsuit. Um, we mm-hmm. might get more information about any other children that have resulted from him being a donor. Um, is he still donating? Yes, he is. Yes, he wow. is. He's told a lot of the mothers that he's only donating for sibling treatment, so for a second, third or however many children they have within a particular family. But that's become apparent that he's uh, he's lying on that front as well because we've found lots of parents that have just had children or are pregnant or mm-hmm. um, have one child um, resulting from his donation currently. So we know that he's lying on that front as well. It's very frustrating. I, did you 
Did you consider it for your own second child just because you're already in the situation and you're planning a second child? I'm just curious. Yeah, this is this is where it gets a little bit, um, not awkward, but complicated in our, deci- our yeah. decision to continue treatment using using um, our donor. Um, when we started planning a family, we always wanted, if we were going to have more than one, at this point we just really wanted to have one child. You know, we were just hoping to get one. And it was looking like it was an impossibility for a long time because we had to go through so many treatments and we were really having no luck. So having one child was was our first um, first goal and we were hoping that that would happen because unfortunately a lot of people don't get that far with treatment and we were thinking that we might be one of those unfortunate families that just goes through treatment mm-hmm. after treatment and doesn't have doesn't end up having a child, you know. Um, so the fact that we got one was a massive, I guess, milestone. It was a massive blessing. Um, and I guess we started planning for a second one, um, a short time after we had our, our our son. Um, yeah. So, and I would assume initially you probably planned on using the same donor. You know, we always planned on having a donor be the genetic parent of any other siblings. So we always mm-hmm. wanted to choose one donor to right. to have all children with. Um, just it's unfortunate that, it, you know, it, it's complicated. Obviously genetics are important um, to a certain level. Um, they weren't the, the only priority, but we always wanted any resulting children to be able to look at each other and say, you know, yes, we have the same um, the same paternal line. We have, we look alike, we have similar personalities, we can look at each other and know that, you know, we're, we're both genetically full-blood siblings. Um, Do you still feel that way? Yes. Do you plan think for your second child important. to be still genetically related to yes. this donor? We think it's very important because f- for DC children, donor-conceived children, it's it, it's one of those things where, when they start looking for their donor and when they start looking for, for half-siblings through, you know, like the methods that we've applied early on, we know a lot already, which is great. Um, we want them to be able to be on the same journey together, have each other in this journey. It's very unlikely that there are a lot of children in Australia. In fact, there might not be any other children in Australia um, because, you know, choosing this donor in the way that we chose him um, and having him meet requirements to come into Australia it w- was quite a rare thing. Um, obviously, my clinic is not going to tell me whether or not anyone has utilised his donor straws from cryos um, out of state either because of the um, identity disclosure laws and obviously protections afforded to families that use donor, donor sperm. So it's hard, but I think there's not going to be many in Australia um, if not any at all. And so that played into our decision to to keep trying to, um, to have another child using the same donor. It was a very hard decision. Um, I will say that none of it has, uh, unfortunately, it, 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 was a, it was a hard thing to grapple with, you know, knowing that obviously the donor's produced this many children, he's lying, he's continued to donate, there are hundreds and hundreds of children. I think the most important priority for us was making sure that any resulting children um, 
using the same donor would be there for each other. So our children would be there for each other. Um, they would be both from the same background. They would both be searching for the same donor. They would both be searching for the same siblings. They'd both be on the same journey together um, rather than two separate journeys with two different donors, um, not being full-blooded siblings. So there might be a difference in the way that they approach the situation it was more important for us to have that for our resulting children to have that together um than to choose another donor based off what we know about jonathan um that being said that wasn't an easy decision and it it's very kind of we've had to kind of separate um the donor from the donor child from any resulting donor child um it's unfortunate that we've been burdened with this um, situation because that's it is a burden to know this information and to have to then disclose that to your child about the number of children that there are. It could play a lot with mental health problems. It could cause a lot of um, identity issues for our son or any other child that we have, and we're aware of that. Um, but for us it's really important that, that they have each other. What? Yeah. What do you hope to accomplish with either moms on a mission or personally to see? So the group that we branched off to create was to start looking for more siblings, actually, because we knew there were so many. And most of the mums in the other group, DonorKind, are very fearful because they have ongoing relationships with Jonathan that they're not prepared to shirk. Um, he's made it very clear that, you know, if anyone starts questioning him or, um goes against his wishes he does threaten no contact with those children that he's aware of um which puts them in a horrible situation but some of the mums in holland that did meet him privately that did have a child through private donation have have basically they said um what's more important is that we find more children which i can connect as many children as possible to each other um and obviously try and find ways to start making this a massive media piece, a massive, um, a massive, I guess, make, making a, a, an awareness of bringing an awareness to the world of this, particularly this private donor and others like him as to what they're doing. So the mission with Mums on a Mission really is to find and connect siblings together from any country of the world where he has donated and produced children so that they have each other um, to start bringing an awareness of this situation that we're in and others that have serial donors into the media so that we can start educating people, um, uh, you know, in regards to private donation and the fertility industry and the pitfalls of, um, of using a private donor and also to try and stop donors like him from donating in this way, whether it's you know, producing more, uh, uh, changing the law with, with the fertility industry to make it a prosecutable offence to do what he's doing. And that's why I was curious. Like, what is the fix in terms of the industry to, you know, to deal Pandora's with a situation box, like Ellen. this? It's, it's really a Pandora's <laughs> box. Unfortunately, at this time, um, it's, you know, th obviously my wife and I can start looking at legally pursuing, cry you know, cryos or other clinics like them. People would have the access to be able to at least start that process. When it comes to him donating privately, there is no law stopping him from 
traveling all over the world, exceeding numbers, lying to parents, prospective parents, producing hundreds of children, um, there really is no law that stops a donor from being able to do that. I mean, for a start, he's donating in someone's bathroom or a hotel or, you know, like you can't stop somebody from doing that. So it really needs to be brought to the fore in the fertility industry that this stuff, these sorts of donors are doing this. There is more than one. There are many, many donors that are doing this, you know, the Ari Nagels, the the Joe donors, um, you know, the Jonathan Jacob Myers, they're all doing this um, compulsively, you know, like it, it might have started out with good intentions and, and it's just it's gone the opposite direction where they really don't care about the number of children they're creating I don't see it as a concern. Or help, maybe they do care, the, care about the number because they're trying for some particularly high number. Well, that's right. right. Is there a competition going on? Because I've, I've noticed right. that there is between, you know, some of these donors online that, you know, they have, they have connections and they know each other really well. It's like an underground network almost. Um, wow. But essentially... What do you think is the, the takeaway that you'd want people to understand about the situation about my personal situation or about the fertility situation <laughs> um, um either okay. both well i would never change anything with having my son yeah. i will always have yeah. a place in my heart for our donor because of uh, or the child that's resulted from his donation um i've i've you know i'd never be able to have a family without having had that donation that just worked to create a child um, and he's a wonderful kid and I'd never change any of it, but that is really separate from the fact that donors like him need to be stopped from doing what they're doing um, because the children are the ones that are going, going to suffer and they don't see that. They, he's not seeing it. Jonathan really is not seeing that as an issue. Um, so my takeaway really is... I've had to separate my feelings of gratitude and um, the rewarding experience of going through fertility treatment and using a donor and having access to a donor as a same-sex couple and having that gift to be able to create a child and have a child look at you every day that looks like you but also looks like the donor and has donor attributes and one day we'll meet that donor and hopefully have some sort of contact. You know, I've had to separate that from the situation that our donor has placed us into, which is that he is compulsively donating and that activity really needs to stop from a legal standpoint. You know, there needs to be something done in the law that makes donors like him stop what they're doing because they have a prosecutable offence waiting for them at the other end of that. And unfortunately these donors don't have any of those um, penalties to to have to worry about so they just go crazy donating everywhere um the industry really needs i mean i think that's that's so important that there is that separation in your life of how you think about your son but also the situation and that really that you know the world and the legal system understand the impact that is harmful from such prolific donation and you know what i want to say a lot a lot of um a, a lot of media in conservative countries and, you know, a lot of issues get raised with, well, you know, donor, donor sperm or donor eggs 
or surrogacy or any of those issues that, that any of those availabilities with, with, with having, trying to have a child or a family. Um, I guess my point is it's not an abolitionist perspective. It should never be a case of, well, you know, that's because you should never use donor sperm or, you know, donor, donor gametes shouldn't even be available, which is what a lot of conservative countries are questioning. You know, like Italy is always questioned um, whether this industry should exist at all, who it's available to. Shockingly, um, other countries that are more conservative, they can't even act, same-sex couples and single women can't even access treatment um, with donor straws or, you know, anything other than having husband's sperm available. So, And that's something we talk about a lot with yeah. surrogacy. We're very similar where, of course, women should not be exploited. Of course, children should not be commodified, but there is a way to do surrogacy that can respect everyone and the child and the surrogate and the intended parents. So it doesn't mean we want to get rid of the, the bad situations, but also preserve the, the freedom of individuals and the ability to grow families and have options. Yes. Yes, exactly. So it's, it, it's a fine line with going to the media and continuing media contact with this in mind. Like it's, is it going to give the donor more notoriety? Um, is it, going to give him a higher profile in the donor world is it going to reflect negatively um on the children which it it will um it's been very hard to to look at this from an angle of well our children have the right to know their donor but at the same time we need to forewarn others that if they do use him he will lie and he will tell you that he has such and such amount of children where in fact he doesn't and had you have known that would you have actually used him as a donor um so there's been a lot of questions and a lot of ethical concerns being raised from going public but the thing is with this kind of issue it really needs to be looked at from a legal standpoint because that really is the only way that these sorts of donors will be stopped from donating to the number that they are um I yeah agree. it's well yeah. We thank you for sharing your story and for coming on and being able to, to be a voice so that others can can hear they're not alone and to, to understand what the situation is like. Um, and I, I know it's hard because there is all of those considerations for, for your child, for your family, and what the future will mean for them. But, but we appreciate it. No problem. And if anyone wants to reach out and has any questions or um, anyone might think that they've that, that's listening that might have used him as a donor um, at Cryos. Um, it, it may be a possibility that he's also donated through European Sperm Bank. Um, there's also two or three families that we're aware of in the United States that at least one of them has used him through Cryos New York. Um, if anyone has any questions about whether they've used him as a donor or might know somebody that has, um, please feel free to get in touch um, with myself. And we'll post yeah. your information to exactly. or at least, um, yeah. all a way for Ellen. people to get in contact. <laughs> yeah, that works as well. I'm happy yeah. to, to forward on information to connect. So thank you. Fantastic. Thank you very much for talking, Ellen. Wow, I am super bummed that I was not able to make it for that. What, what an incredible story. <laughs> Yeah, we appreciate you being willing to share, I, given how how personal it is, how controversial it is, that you are so open to to share that story with with the world. I think it can. I'm hoping that it could make a difference or help someone 
understand the situation or really resonate if they're in the situation as well. Yeah, exactly. And if other people want to share with us, haha, we're always going to throw that pitch right in there, right? Um, they can give us a call at 303-997-1903. can also, of course, share a review with us on iTunes or send us a message via our website at IWantToPutABabyInYou.com. Uh, we're always happy to hear from people. A huge, huge thank you, as always, to our team, to uh, Amanda and to Tyler and of course, to Chris at Work at Bird Studios, who uh, even even when we are crazy and tech challenged, makes us sound good. So thank you to everybody. And thank you, of course, to you for coming and listening. Mm-hmm.